The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus, The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome again to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In the first three episodes, we continued our study of types and shadows with the story of Moses the Deliverer. Beginning in part one, we saw how that Egypt was the type of sin, and how Israel, God's people, are the type of all those who are in bondage to sin. We were introduced to Moses, who like Jesus was appointed as a deliverer for his own people. We saw how Moses, like Jesus, having the right to royalty, volunteered to humble himself as a servant to save his people. 
we saw how Moses, like Jesus, went out to his people to save them and was rejected. Having been rejected, we saw Moses, who, like Jesus, finds the seven daughters of Midian, which means strife, in the desert. We saw Moses, who, like Jesus, provides salvation to the seven daughters, who are the type of the seven churches, ends their strife, and proceeds to provide them with water for their flock. Moses then enters into a relationship of marriage with Zipporah, whose name means to turn oneself about. This mirrors the substance, Jesus, whose desire is to enter into a relationship with all who are willing, by faith, through grace, to repent, i.e. to turn from our own way, rebellion, and accept his imputed righteousness on our behalf. We saw Moses' two children by way of his marriage to Zipporah, Gershom, and Eleazar. We saw Moses, who, like Jesus, shepherds his flock, feeding and pasturing them at the foot of God's mountain, where they wait patiently as God prepares Moses to return for his people Israel, who are in blindness and deliver them from bondage. In the third episode, we saw Moses' encounter with the angel at the burning bush. In this encounter, we saw a meeting between Moses and the eternal God by his own name, I Am, as later revealed by his son, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. We saw the interplay via the various Hebrew words and types, demonstrating how, like Moses, all mankind lacks any sufficiency based upon keeping of the law, any merits, any works, to approach God. Man is barred from standing on God's holy ground by sin. Anyone attempting to approach, apart from being covered by Jesus' shed blood, will encounter the point of the sword and the prick of death as seen earlier in the burning bush. In this episode, Exodus chapter 4, Moses begins to doubt. Moses confesses to God he is concerned that Israel will question whether he has in fact seen God or not. As a result of this, God then proceeds to demonstrate several previews of miracles to Moses, which are a sample of his power he intends to use to display both to Pharaoh and to his people. After seeing these miracles, Moses then argues with God, telling God that he is slow of speech and inarticulate. God reminds Moses that it is he, God, who creates man's mouth and gives us the ability to speak. Despite this, Moses insists that God should appoint someone else as his spokesman and Moses will assist. God acquiesces to Moses' request and appoints Moses' brother, Aaron, as his mouthpiece. After this initial conversation with God, Moses returns to Jethro, where he gathers Zipporah, Gershom, and Eliezer, and prepares to return to Egypt to do those miracles which God has given Moses power to do. As Moses is about to leave, God gives a final instruction to Moses in chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, as follows, quote, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn, and I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, 
even thy firstborn, unquote. Essentially, God is here setting the stage for the ultimate climax regarding the plagues which he will bring upon Egypt to deliver his people. God proposes to tell Pharaoh up front what the stakes are going to be. First, Pharaoh needs to know that God considers Israel, i.e. the Hebrew people who are enslaved by Pharaoh, to be his firstborn son. If Pharaoh fails to release Israel from bondage, then the final result will be the death of Pharaoh's firstborn son. More importantly, verses 22 and 23 set critically important context for the verses immediately to follow, which are considered by many commentators to be one of, if not the most cryptic passages found in the Bible. In an effort to better understand, let's look at verses 24 through 26. Quote, and it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go, and she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Unquote. Now there are several important things to consider in the above two verses. First, the use of the pronouns he and him are for the most part very indistinct in comparison to the narrative before and after this verse, where it is clear who is talking or being talked to. The typical commentary reviews usually promote the idea that Moses is the subject of these verses. While this may in fact be true, Several of the terms he and him could conceivably refer to the remaining cast of characters available. Let us not forget that this episode includes not only Moses and Zipporah, but also Pharaoh's son, as well as Gershom, who is Moses' firstborn son, and Eleazar, Moses' youngest son. In addition, some of the references might also refer to the angel of the Lord who met Moses. Secondly, the original languages and some of the phrases used are of curious interest. To begin with, the word translated in, as opposed to the common definition which we would think of a hotel or motel, the correct translation is simply any place, even out in the open country, where a person or persons stay overnight. Several commentators believe the phrase, quote, the Lord met him and sought to kill him, unquote, is a colloquialism which is actually saying that Moses, who is the he in this theory, fell very ill due to some sickness and was close to death. The theory continues and becomes the explanation as to why Zipporah is seen here doing the circumcision and interaction with the Lord, while Moses is strangely quiet and absent from the dialogue, except for being the he who is supposedly sick. Next, we have the word translated cast, which almost every source unanimously correctly translates as quote-unquote touch. We also have the word translated feet, 
which many commentators state is a clearly understood euphemism referring to genitals, which would not be specified so as to avoid being too explicit or inappropriate. Lastly, there are two references which are translated, quote-unquote, bloody husband. While the translation is somewhat obscure, the consensus seems clear that the best translation is actually, quote-unquote, bloody bridegroom. According to Wikipedia, the Hebrew for, quote, bridegroom of blood, unquote, written as hatan damim, is derived from a Semitic root verb which means, quote, perform marriage, unquote. In Arabic, this phrase is linked to Hebrew but means, quote, perform circumcision, unquote. In ancient Akkadian, which is related to Arabic and Aramaic Hebrew, this phrase means, quote, to protect, unquote. In Zipporah's day, casting the foreskin meant to protect, Thus, quote, you are a bridegroom of blood, unquote, could also mean, quote, this blood will protect you, unquote. One rabbinic source expands Zipporah's enigmatic statement from, quote, you are truly a bridegroom of blood, unquote, to, quote, how beloved is the blood that has delivered this bridegroom from the hand of the angel of death, unquote. Thirdly, in reading the before, during, and after regarding these two verses, there seems to be many questions which stand out. Prior to verse 24, Moses is meeting God with awe, respect, and fear. Moses fares well despite arguing and doubting God about his own ability to be God's spokesman. The end result is that God gives Aaron as Moses' mouthpiece and sends Moses on his way with a reminder to do those miracles which God has put in Moses' hand. So it seems very evident that God has ordained Moses to be his appointed deliverer. Yet, in verse 24, we have what seems to be an abrupt change where, without explanation, we are led to believe that God is now seeking to presumably kill Moses. So the question is, what did Moses do if the he mentioned in this verse is Moses to deserve God killing him? If Moses is killed, then who is going to be available to take over and deliver God's people? If Moses is the one being sought out for death, then why do we not read of Moses handling the matter of the circumcision? Where is he? What is he doing? Why is Zipporah handling the circumcision instead of Moses? Why does the issue of circumcision even arise? What has circumcision got to do with this event? Obviously, it was apparently effective in staying the Lord's seeking to kill him, whoever him is, but how does Zipporah know to circumcise her son to avert the angel's plan? Who told her? In the end, there are several different theories posed by various commentators to explain this enigmatic entry. Each theory attempts to balance out all the terms and languages. Each has its potential shortcomings and strengths. But in the end, it is difficult to discern which theory is correct since the pronouns are vague. For example, in these verses we know that the Lord is said to meet him 
and sought to kill him, but the various theories presented can identify him as being Pharaoh's son, Moses, Gershom, or Eleazar. We know that Zipporah touches the circumcised foreskin to his feet. In this case, the his in question can be identified as Moses or the angel of the Lord. Lastly, we know that he let him go. In these cases, the he can be identified as the angel of the Lord and Moses. The him can be identified as Moses and Gershom. So again, the question is, which names from our cast of characters does God intend that we replace with the respective pronouns used in order to make the most sense of this incident? Having articulated the initial concerns in the above verses, let's review Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 through 26. Quote, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, Behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go and then he, she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision, unquote. Based upon these verses, what is the theory which makes the most logical sense from a historical, three-dimensional sense? For the sake of ease, let's just take the most common theory. In this case, Moses leaves the mountain of God en route to deliver God's people, Israel, from their bondage in Egypt. On the way, the angel of the Lord meets Moses, and during their encounter, Moses' life is in danger due to the fact that Moses was not circumcised. Moses does not or cannot act on this shortcoming for reasons that the text does not specify. Instead, Zipporah acts based upon some knowledge or understanding which is not made known and circumcises Gershom, her firstborn child. Upon doing so, Zipporah takes the circumcised foreskin of Gershom and touches it to Moses' genitals. At this point, the angel of the Lord is said to let go of Moses, and the episode is over. As with the rest of the theories offered, the above rendering has difficulties from the standpoint of a purely historical narrative. Ultimately, I believe that the reason these difficulties exist is because this event goes beyond a three-dimensional historical narrative and emerges into the territory of being a type and shadow. As such, let us consider looking at the incident according to its possible types and substance. In order to best understand, I believe it is important to recall that prior to this incident, God had been outlining his plan, including all of his intended miracles to Moses, leading up to the finale, which would be the slaying of Pharaoh's firstborn son. As the narrative of Exodus chapter 4 verses 22 through 26 begins, 
It may be that what is in view here is actually a continuing analogy God is presenting to Moses to allow him and others who will read to understand a greater spiritual aspect of what God intends to do. From a typological standpoint, Moses at this point in time is the type of the law, i.e. the keeping of all ten commandments, which he had just previewed in this encounter with God on the mountain. God then sends Moses to Egypt with the mandate to deliver God's people from Egypt, which is the type of bondage to sin. We already know from God's pronouncement that Pharaoh is not going to release his people to worship their God and to proceed to the promised land, which is God's plan and desire. This also corresponds to the grip of Satan and the flesh who have their hold entrenched on the world, including all those who God is seeking to deliver by his grace and power. God further tips his hand, telling Moses and us that although he will display his power, strength, and miracles, that deliverance from Egyptian bondage, i.e. sin, will ultimately only be made possible through the death of a firstborn. In our story, we tend to focus on Pharaoh's firstborn because that is the mention first made. However, as we look at the entirety of the historical saga, we see that all firstborns were involved, not just Pharaoh's. In fact, during the last plague, the lives of both Hebrew and Egyptian firstborn would be taken regardless. The only escape, as we later learn, turns out to be that those who would cover their doorways to their homes with the blood of a firstborn lamb. These will have their respective firstborn children saved by virtue of residing under the covering of the firstborn lamb's blood. So in the larger type of this case, the topic of the firstborn and the shedding of their blood is meant to shout out to us and catch our attention through its repetition to draw our attention to the substance, which is the ultimate first and only Son of God, Jesus, who will voluntarily shed his blood for the remission of sins, so that all who will by his grace believe and have the ability through his victory to be delivered from sin, i.e. Egypt. As we proceed forward, and Moses leaves for Egypt with Zipporah and his sons, we see the Lord meeting Moses, who apparently up to this point had not been circumcised himself, nor had his firstborn son Gershom. Continuing, as we read that the Lord sought to kill Moses, if we read superficially, it is easy to mistakenly believe that God was irrationally trying to murder Moses for little or no reason, after God had just given him the green light to be his appointed deliverer. But the truth is, God was not seeking to kill Moses like some kind of assassin, any more than God is seeking to kill anyone. Instead, rightly understood what is being expressed is in reality a theological and spiritual axiom. Neither Moses nor anyone else is going to be able to deliver others or themselves by the keeping of the law. It is impossible. We, like Moses, are uncircumcised in our hearts, and thus we are separated from God by our sin. If we attempt to approach Egypt to act as a deliverer to ourselves, without having the circumcision of the heart provided only by God's grace, then we are doomed to fail. 
We are still separated from God by sin, and the penalty of sin is death, which like the angel meets us, and we are slain by our own sin. So putting things into perspective, from a theological, spiritual standpoint, we begin from the position of being dead already due to sin, rebellion, and separation from God. It is our unrighteousness and sin which causes death, not God. God brings life, peace, and joy to we who were once dead by his grace and love through faith. This reality is hammered home in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Quote, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come we might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus ye, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit." Unquote. Once the meeting between Moses, i.e. the law, and God takes place, 
It is Zipporah who now fulfills the needed circumcision which intercedes the apparent certain death of Moses. This, I believe, is because it is only Zipporah who is the type of those called out by grace through faith, i.e. the church, the outcalled ones, who are able by grace through Jesus' imputed righteousness to comprehend and successfully apply his righteousness, i.e. circumcision, to their lives. Moses cannot do it, nor can we. We, like Moses, fall under the pronouncement of Romans chapter 3, verse 23. At the same time, those who, like the type of Zipporah, have become the bride of Christ, i.e. his church, the outcalled ones, by his grace, through faith, can now apply his righteousness, which is the circumcision of our hearts, to our lives. Thus, it is Zipporah, the church, who is able to conduct the circumcision. Notice again, God is trying to get our attention directed to the one who will ultimately be able to provide an all-sufficient payment. In this case, Gershom, the firstborn son of Moses, is the type of Jesus who is the only son of God, who, like Gershom, will shed his blood to cover the sins of all those who, like Moses, are unable to atone for their own sin. This is exactly why, like so many propitiatory type sacrifices, Zipporah touches the circumcised foreskin to Moses. It is an obvious demonstration of how the sacrifice and blood from the innocent firstborn son, who is the type of Jesus, is efficient to cover and rescue Moses, who in this instance is the type of those who despite the law are uncircumcised in their heart. Lastly, the statements made by Zipporah which are cryptic in their historical sense take profound meaning and understanding in their typological sense. Zipporah says, quote, This blood will protect you, unquote. Or, Quote, how beloved is the blood that has delivered this bridegroom from the hand of the angel of death, unquote. Either statement by Zipporah is a recognition provided by divine design pointing to the substance of this drama, which is Jesus. And it is through his boundless love, grace, sacrifice, and mercy that, like Moses, we who are touched are set free. This concludes this episode. Please join me for part 5. Now if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore yeshua at yahoo.com That's p-a-s-t-o-r underscore y-e-s-h-u-a at yahoo.com Thank you for listening.